0: Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. (laughs) We're all still abiding by California shelter-in-place laws. Yeah. So here we are on Zoom, uh, talking television, guys. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the Snowpiercer virtual premiere, which you attended, Ben. I did.
1: I did attend it. Uh,
0: Libby and I will be talking... About the Last Dance finale, which you have not yet watched, Ben. I don't know why. What kept you from it?
1: Work? Uh, I've been watching, been watching The Sopranos. Uh, that's been like it's always been the choice. Okay. It's like hey, I have one free hour. Do we want to watch The Sopranos, The Last Dance, and it's always been The Sopranos.
0: Is that why? Why would you do that? You're a Midwestern boy who loves sports, loves basketball, owns the Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah, that's the. I think that's the thing. It's like it was about the Celtics much longer reign, that would be interesting, but six championships compared to seventeen just doesn't really mean a lot. Did, I just it. Did... Well I'm telling you, I'm sure ESPN
0: is like, let's start lining these up for other dynasties that we love.
2: Like the Knicks. Celtics. <laughs> mm.
0: They made they made the Knicks documentary already. It's when the Garden was Eden. They don't need to make a documentary of the nineteen ninety Knicks. My my favorite Ben what? Ben, you'll see this when you watch, but the ninth episode, the trivia I think it's the ninth, or maybe it's the tenth episode. Oh, yes. The, the trivia... I thought of you. And I, I, I said it out loud immediately. It's, uh, what Hall of Famer did Michael Jordan eliminate from the playoffs uh, the most times? And, I like, without hesitation, Patrick Ewing. <laughs> and finally, uh, we'll have a little uh, argument between Ben and Libby over Mrs. America. I guess I'll be refereeing?
2: The irony of this argument is not even, like... It's like, I don't dispute Ben's position on the show. I just, like...
0: Have your own thoughts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> a, how dare you? I think that's If fair. we've learned anything from Mrs. America, how dare you? Okay. Uh, and two, I think that's my favorite thing about teeing this up as an argument, is that we have not actually talked about our know, specific that's our... feelings about the show, so no. we could just end up agreeing. This is the
2: millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show.
0: Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Ben, you were invited, I, I assume you got a ticket, to I did get a ticket. Uh, Snowpiercer's virtual
1: premiere. I got uh, first can class you, ticket. Whoa! Which, did everyone honestly, everyone get one of those, or just you? I I think everybody just did. Just him,
2: because he's the train detective.
1: Oh. Ben, train detective Travers. Travers. I think anybody who hadn't seen the show and got that ticket probably looked at the ticket funny after they watched the premiere because it's like well, I don't really want to be associated with those people those people are bad um you'd rather be but, a tailley <sighs> yes. just living in the caboose word. that's a, again a better word um <laughs> But yes, no, this was the first virtual premiere I have attended in our new age of virtual premieres, um, and it was not exactly what I expected, but it's exactly like it sounds like. You get a login code, um, you go to a website at a specific time, you uh, sign in, and a little screen pops up that says, you know, the show will start in X number of minutes, so there's a whole countdown. Uh, for Snowpiercer, they had Jennifer Connelly do the like a, a live Zoom-ish introduction before the episode started. Um, then you all watch the episode live on that screen. Uh, there's a little comment section on the right-hand side, uh, which you can type whatever you want into, and you do not get to choose your name. So like if you were a celebrity who didn't want to say you were there or wanted to like say use just your first name instead of your full name or whatever you don't get to do that you just are who you are at the party just like you would be in real life so um so was interesting to see stuff like anthony anderson congratulating david diggs at the end of the episode when he popped up to say let's go to the party um and the party was where things got interesting uh they did
2: things got weird
1: Things, things got very weird. They did a, a train themed, Snowpiercer themed party where different cars in the train uh, had different activities you could do. So you could go to the bar, and there was a bartender who, was, who had like a virtual backdrop and a live bar in front of him. And he would kind of talk to people through the comments section. Like you'd write a comment, and he'd say something, um, but he'd also teach you how to make a drink. And what TNT did was they sent, um, like, little cocktail supplies in the mail before the premiere so that you had the stuff you needed to make specific cocktails. Um, they also sent you, like, a tarot card, which was uh, what you could use with um, Katya. Or no, that was the night car experience. Who was the tarot? There was an apothecary night station um, that had, like, a tarot reading and would do kind of not fortune telling exactly, but they would send you on little missions to other cars. Um, They'd send you to the bartender to ask a question or they'd tell you to look out for so-and-so at the party. Um, The night car experience was twofold, which is just like the night car in the show, which is a place where you go to watch live music and have a drink. And um, it's like a, like a cocktail lounge kind of thing. Um, So you could go and just watch somebody singing. They had one of the they had the actress who plays Miss Audrey um, performing in the night car, just singing a bunch of different songs. You could just kind of watch and listen to her sing. Or you could go to the night car experience, which is like a kind of therapy room where like a, a person kind of talks to you about emotions and feelings. And um, I think they talked about kind of the old world. So like, remember the sound of rain? And, and you're like, oh yeah, I do remember the sound of rain. Um, so it was kind of cool. It was interesting. And you could see... Again, like, there's always the comment section on the side of whatever car you go into. So, like, if somebody was trying to talk to somebody, that would happen. And also, right before I left, I stayed for about a half an hour. Right before I left, a ghost started popping up in certain train cars, which I thought was wild. Like, that was nuts. Somebody thought I was following them. I was like, okay, great.
0: No spoilers, but is there a ghost in the season of Snowpiercer? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. (laughs) I was like...
2: They just, they they just, nope. uh, like, import, they're just working out some kinks for, like, <laughs> Hollywood, like, not scary farm, like, whatever they're planning for Halloween this year, since no yeah. one's going to be able to actually trick or treat. They're like, yeah, this is, whatever, it's fine. It's just working it out I thing.
0: I am slightly envious that they use the train as a device for the for the mingling, because we, as as we're aware, long-time listeners of the podcast will remember me pitching uh, HBO's FYC should be. Uh, a long train where each car was a different show.
2: For someone who suffers from anxiety this is a dream Um, I would love to not have to wear uncomfortable shoes and like stand in a super crowded room with people and like try not to be in the way of celebrities um, and trying to have conversations over very loud whatever I'd rather shout questions into the void in a chat room uh, which is actually how I spent most of my teen years but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think we need to get used to this. I don't know how effective something like this becomes in an FYC capacity. Like, if, if people are going to opt into this, because I don't know how many Academy members are going to hop on and enter their code and figure out all of that to participate. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I'm still we still don't have a clear plan for how the academy itself is going to be streaming FYC events if if that happens I mean obviously FYC events are suspended uh, until further notice. I would assume that if we are having an Emmys ceremony that we will have some FYC season but everything is still very unclear which is honestly not what I expected to tell you on May 19th
0: Libby Ben Sunday was the finale of the last dance ESPN's 10 part doc Ben you have not watched yet you were too busy with sopranos obviously a show that's been off the air for over a decade uh, Libby you did watch uh, what were your what were your thoughts if you could if you could give them?
2: I really love the last dance like I feel like I, I've talked about that with you guys before um growing up in the Midwest. You know, I and and in that era, it was very nostalgic. It was very um, comforting. It was definitely something that I, I needed to have to sort of cling to uh, during this difficult time. Um, in addition to that, I thought it was very deft at. It's not the greatest doc. It's not OJ. It's not made in America. It's not. Um, it, it, it. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's next level documentary series, but it made me feel good. Michael Jordan is ultimately a very simple man. He will do anything to win. He was great at what he did. He didn't care if he was an asshole while he did it. Like, that's very clear cut. I don't really care if people are assholes if they aren't pretending to not be assholes. So I don't have as much many problems with you know Michael Jordan's character. Um and there is just something about watching someone who is so good at what they do and what they do is something that basically no one else can do. Uh yeah. it
0: seems like uh America on the whole was on board the nostalgia train uh well, the ratings they often are. Uh the ratings for episodes 9 and 10 same day were 5.9 million for episode 9 and 5.4 million <laughs> When you compare that to the fact that the first episode had 6.4 million viewers same day, essentially it held 80% of its viewership over the course of its five-week run.
1: Um, That's not including the the people who caught up at a later time, so now that there's 15 million people who've watched episode one and will probably get close to that number for the rest of the series.
0: I do like that the that the doc makes clear that nothing ever happened to Michael Jordan, the Chicago bulls after the 1998 uh, season. He never, (laughs) he never came back and played basketball again. Uh, The bulls didn't uh, enter a (laughs) tailspin. Mrs. America is a series by FX and it's featured on FX on Hulu, but it it centers around uh, the (laughs) life and times of Phyllis Schlafly, who was, a woman who fought against the ERA, which was the Equal Rights Act uh, for women in the 1970s. Libby, you you stated earlier that you had yes. you had a lot of thoughts. Some some were potentially angry thoughts. Ben, you're a big fan of the show. Would you say you're a big fan?
1: I would say I'm a I'm a sizable fan. Yes.
2: Of Phyllis Schlafly?
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a huge fan of Phyllis Schlafly and everything she believes in.
2: He's a moderate fan of Mrs. America. <laughs> Huge fan of village slaffle.
1: Mrs. America seems like I don't I don't quite understand the tone, but Schlafly, she's just wow, what a presence. What a what a
2: What a dynamo.
1: What a mind. I just, you know, I'd follow her anywhere. I'd follow her all the way to Peoria, Illinois. Too many L's and in her P. last name.
2: Yeah. I love the scene about
1: that. Too many L's.
2: I love their confusion. I love that she named a daughter after herself. Like she had a junior. That's that's ballsy.
0: But yes, Livy, I, I was queuing you up to share Sorry. any any, and all of your of your thoughts on Mrs. America.
2: Well, Mrs. is a really tough one. It has this brilliant cast of women. It is written and directed by women. Um, it's about women during um, sort of the second, second wave feminism. Uh, these are all things that I love. Uh, the actresses featured are absolutely bananas. You've Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly. You've Margot Martindale and Tracy Ullman and Rose Byrne and Uzo Aduba and like it goes on and on and on and on. and Sarah Paulson. Like, Elizabeth Banks. Sarah Paulson. Elizabeth Banks. Yes. Like like legit, legitimately still going. Up. Melanie Linsky. Like,
0: John Slattery.
2: On John Slattery. <laughs> that one guy from the OC. Um, Gene Triplehorn. Gene Triplehorn. I'll see. Who? Adam Brody. Yeah. (laughs) Seth. Cohen. Seth. Seth. Cohen.
1: Cohen. Yeah. Love
2: Seth. Uh, So, like, then they're they're all giving these these incredible performances, and I can hardly sit through episodes because I just get blinded with rage. Um. This happens to me a, a, a fair amount. Uh, it, it happened to me when I was watching Vice, uh, Adam McKay's film in theaters. I uh, actually burst into angry sobs in the middle of it. Um, and so with Mrs. America, there's, there's the, the fact that I'm a, a, a queer liberal feminist married to a woman, um, and, and I feel personally offended by Philip Schlafly Um, rest in peace, I guess. But also, like, the rise of the religious right has done personal and lasting damage to my life, to my wife's life, uh, to the lives of millions of people around the country and the world. And and it's hard to sit and enjoy a fiction about it, um, a fictionalization of it. If I'm not able to separate myself from the aftermath. Um, so it's not fun for me to watch this show, which is really disappointing because the performances are amazing. Uh, the production values are fine. There are some things that I roll my eyes at. Uh, there are little like comedic beats that aren't what the show is that, that seem a little hacky. Um or hacky or hokey or both um some of those beat some of those needle drops are pretty on the nose like forrest gump on the nose um but i i can't i can't get past the harm
0: the music in the series is sort of uh i think it's the highlight and the low light in some ways
2: yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah
0: some of it is like great like the kink song at the end of uh the second episode is fantastic but i think some of the other stuff is like hey 1970s can you say 1970s these are 1970s songs
2: like i think i think in the first one or two episodes they use make your own kind of music
0: yeah that's the end which of-
2: is yeah which is how would you do that how do you use that song After Lost, like, you can't use that song. Like, and I realize that happens all the time. But for me, that is such an iconic television moment. It scored a perfect song that, that, yeah, it it just doesn't deliver that. I, I will say I'm glad Mrs. America exists. And I'm glad that the center is Phyllis Schlafly because I feel like not enough people understand how we got to where we are right now how it was, a, it was a concerted effort to concentrate power, and you know what? They succeeded. And they succeeded so much that, spoiler alert, the RA never passed. Um, and time has expired. And in order to get it through, like now, like they, this Supreme Court, they would have to start all over again. Um, but at the same time, she's vile. And no matter how good Kate Blanchett is, and she's so good, I don't want to spend time with this person. I don't want to see these, uh, close-minded women actively work against everything I believe in. It's not fun for me. It's not, it's not, um... Quirky. It's not like they're pulling off a, a, a heist in Ocean's Eleven. Like, that doesn't give me any thrill. Um, it just, I find myself subsumed with dread. Um, ben, you, I know for a fact, you get something else entirely from this show. Tell me what that is.
1: Um, well, first of all, I should always frame this with, um, I'm obviously a man and a straight white man so uh watching anything related to this is not going to be as um personally reactive or like like invoking such a visceral charge uh which i think my white trans
2: wife my white trans wife raised in conservative christian household damaged beyond repair by uh (laughs) by conservative christianity loves this show like unreservedly so i get why you're saying that but this is millions well, of screens your opinion is equally valid here well, with leo equally, not with me right not with um
1: me. i think the i think the important takeaway that i have from this and something that i'm writing about in, in another review at the moment is that um there's no way to tell anybody what's a good show to watch for them. Um, I don't yeah. think it really like at this moment there's a lot of that going on. Um, I think even on this podcast I've had a a visceral reaction to people saying, you know, hey, you shouldn't be watching the leftovers right now. If you're thinking about it, don't do it. It's like, well, you know, fuck off. Like you don't really know if that's going to be that person's cup of tea right now, and it's just the same as me telling them to watch it right now. If if you have a bad reaction, you should stop yourself. And that's always kind of the case with television but for me with mrs america um i think what was so i mean there's a lot of things to me that are exciting about it but in terms of the framing i completely agree with everything Libby said about why we're following phyllis schlafly and um kind of the need to follow phyllis schlafly in terms of of educating people on what happens what makes it easier for me to watch her at the center of this and she takes up either the a or the b arc of pretty much every episode um what makes it easier for me to watch this is the show is very aware of her contradictions and it is constantly pointing out her contradictions and it does so in a way that is both subtle but sharp so when she slowly starts becoming more and more involved and she gets more and more work to do and she takes on a more, uh, kind of a more autonomous role and we see her start making decisions for herself instead of, uh, you know, letting her husband speak for her or make decisions for the family. Um, every one of those moments is given an attention that's not too on the nose, but is enough for you to be like, Holy shit, this woman is full of it. Like, and you can, the fact that you're being reminded of that throughout, provides such a good framework for the antihero story because, again, it goes back to the Don Draper discussion of Mad Men where people were like, no, 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 they, they worship Don, they love Don, everybody's too nice about Don, we love him too much, they weren't, you know, mean enough to it, and that's, you know, I think that's a load of crap, but that's the discussion we keep having about antiheroes and I feel like with Mrs. America, it's very clear why she's leading the story. And then on the other side of it, I honestly just found the, the story of Gloria Steinem and bella abzug and shirley chisholm like everybody in the feminist group that the show follows it was so nice and warm and wonderful to see all of these women doing wonderful things and uh like getting together and talking about the issues and fighting for things and making progress and um pushing an agenda that had an impact and speaking um, from a platform that people heard. And the show, again, it's not sugarcoating it. It's not making it into some fantasy where, you know, everything worked out in the end and it's all sunshine and rainbows and whatever. And in a lot of ways, without spoiling how they frame the ending of Mrs. America, it is a tragedy. Um, But those moments are so heartening for me to watch that I found myself compelled to keep going back to it again and again and again, and I was attached to that so much more than I was attached to what was going on with Phyllis. Like I, I think the Phyllis framing is so important because it's important to understand that side of it. I also think, while this isn't a fleshed out idea or an even a fully endorsed argument, but by centering it on Phyllis Schlafly, I think the show might get attention from people who otherwise would write it off if it was the glorious item story um and that's an exciting opportunity for a show that's being pretty accurate towards history to do um so yeah I, I I would say that what surprised me so much about Mrs. America is the slight that's been tossed against FX dramas for a while or at least certain FX dramas awards targeted FX dramas is that they're boring it's that they're hard to watch it's that um you know people didn't make it through fossey burton or the americans was too slow and it's not that i agree with those arguments but it felt like this show was taking a very specific stance to say no no, no we're going to make this entertaining you're going to like watching this you're not going to agree with it you're not going to be happy about all the things that happen it's still a tragedy it's still something but to the on-the-nose music, to, uh, to again, like, the, the women just getting together and doing these amazing things and kind of enjoying them doing that. Uh, to me, it's just, it's a surprisingly bingeable show. I hate binging shows. I want to watch shows one at a time. And this was very hard for me to stop watching.
2: That's really, but like, your points are, are totally valid. They're very interesting. I hate them. Um, and I think you're wrong.
1: I would still, I would argue only that, um, that the show is, is definitely designed to put you back on your heels at the start. It's something that's supposed to kind of make you rediscover your footing and figure out, you know, why am I watching this? And I think those questions are always valid when you're touching on topics that are very important and very sensitive and very powerful. Um, but again, like the, the purpose for them doing that is because they are telling this in a different way. They're not right. using a, a conventional structure to, um, you know, shed light on this part of history. Uh, so like for them to do that and be able to make it. I don't really like the word entertaining, but I, I do think it's an entertaining show. Um, no, for them to be yeah. able to kind of do both of those things is is impressive to me. And again, like. Same argument applies of, you know, if this isn't the show for you, there's no reason to watch to the, for, to the end. But the ending framing that they leave you with does feel incredibly important for for just the anybody who is confused. Like a, a lot of the early stuff, and this wasn't in part of either of your arguments, but a lot of the early criticism I read of the show revolved around, I don't know what to make of this. And uh, it feels like we're empathizing with the wrong person, or it feels like we're focusing on the wrong person, or it feels like this or that, or... or um, I don't know why they made the decisions they made. I feel like it's hard to say that once you see the end, and um, because each episode flips a perspective and introduces a lot of information through one character, uh, it's easy to get you know sucked up and turned around and put into that moment where you're like, I'm following this person now, and then hold on, I'm getting jerked back over here, and I gotta go like like re- reassess my thinking of what I just learned in the last hour. But those moves are very carefully designed to reach an endpoint. so
0: uh ben i want to back up just because you you we referenced the uh the trojan horsing of like maybe progressive views through a show that sort of houses both the conservative point of view and the progressive one you said people have been writing articles about this on the other side
1: oh yeah there's a i've seen a lot of conservative sites trying to write about phyllis schlafly and um Some of them are corrective. Some of them are um, outlining different ideas presented in the show. Um, But again, I don't think that's the purpose of the show. I don't think that's what it's designed to do. I think it's, but I do think it is designed to, to reframe perspectives and to give proper perspective to a very complicated period of time that has thus ushered in another very complicated period of time. And the fact that they're able to find through lines through that to make decisive points and make clarifying statements and to present people in a way that feels honest to what they were trying to do with their lives, um, that seems very effective. And that seems like it would work if it got people watching who are in one side or the other without hitting an extreme.
2: Gentlemen, <laughs> is my nemesis Quibi dead yet? Tell me the latest. Do you uh, have your news from Quibi? Uh, the,
0: the latest news is uh, a Fortune article that pops up when you search Quibi. It says, Quibi losing the attention game, analysts say. So Is the analyst Jeffrey you?
2: Katzenberg?
0: <laughs> I do love these headlines. Quibi learns that audiences don't want to watch films on phones.
2: And I thought my headphone i thought my headlines were bad. That's very bad headline.
0: Who wrote that? Who said that? That's the Daily Mail.
2: That is what—that is always what killed me about like those movie theater purists, those directors. They're like, I, competing with people watching Titanic on their phone, and it's like no one's fucking watching Titanic on their phone. Like I don't—I don't know what you're talking.
0: Millions of Screens is a production of Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features extras to the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite 90s Chicago Bulls players are BJ Armstrong, Horace Grant, and petty Michael Jordan. Our Millions of Screens documentary endorsement is Poop Dreams. You can find us on Twitter at at Millionscreens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave a review and let us know what you think. If it's good, we might read it on air, and if it's bad, we'll try our best to delete it from the internet. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo, remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you.
2: You shouldn't let poets
0: lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs> Hoop Dreams is good, but I'm gonna recommend When the Garden Was Eden to check out those early '70s New York Knicks basketball teams. Willis Reed coming on the on the
1: court, hobbled.
0: Come on, it warms the heartstrings.
1: How is that about
2: the Knicks? Like the Garden is a Celtics thing. I don't know. Madison Square Garden.